Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. I think it's fair to say that many people today are wondering if we are living at the end of history, if we're living at the end of time. Some people who don't have a biblical worldview are concerned that um, doomsday might be just around the corner. I saw an article in the Atlantic Monthly this week entitled, uh, The Monk Who Thinks the End of the World is Coming, or Who Thinks the World is Ending. And this article is about actually a Buddhist monk who was concerned that artificial intelligence might destroy humanity at some point. And so even people who don't have a biblical worldview are concerned about what's happening and are we headed towards a catastrophe in some way. And of course, Christians in Christian circles, people are asking this question, especially now with the war in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. And some people are wondering whether we'll see the return of Christ in our lifetime. Well, uh, the gospel reading that, that Nancy just read is part of Jesus' teaching on the end times. And it's something that started in Matthew 24 when Jesus predicted that the temple of, in Jerusalem would be destroyed. His disciples came to him and said, uh, look at these stones, and they admired the temple and the architecture and the grandeur of it all. And Jesus said, I tell you, a day is coming when not one stone will be left upon another, that this temple is going to come down. And that happened in A.D. 70. And so Jesus uh, was talking about the future, and then the disciples continued to ask him questions about the end and when he will return again. And so starting in Matthew 24 and into verse tw- um, chapter 25, we have the teaching of Christ about the end times. These are very important uh, chapters for understanding what Christ wants us to know about the end. And the point of this particular parable, the parable of the ten virgins, we might say today, the ten young bridesmaids, these, were, these would have been in Jesus' day very young girls, probably between the age of 12 and 14. Um, the, the point of this parable is quite simple. Jesus says, you do not know the day or the hour when Christ comes, when the Son of Man comes. You do not know the day or the hour when the end comes. Um, So therefore, stay awake. Watch therefore. In other words, be prepared. Always be vigilant. Always be ready to meet Christ. And so, uh, this teaching about the end times is not really a, a matter for speculation. It's not something that uh, should prompt us to try to set a date. Uh, Christians have gone astray trying to do that. Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour. It's not a matter of speculation. It's not a matter of date setting. It's not a matter of anxiety or consternation. It's a matter, Jesus says, of preparation. That we ought always to be prepared to meet Christ. 
that we ought to live with this awareness that He could come. And so what does it mean to be prepared then for the end? To meet Christ at the end? Well, let's look at what this parable teaches us about that. First of all, in order to prepare to meet Christ, we have to take seriously the words of Christ about this. That although no one knows the day or the hour, we can't put this on the calendar. We can't pinpoint this. Although no one knows the day or the hour that he will come, we can rest assured that he will actually come. We don't know when, but we know that he will come if we believe his word. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour, but the day or the hour will come. The kingdom of heaven will come. This is a parable about when the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, comes fully to this earth. And so he starts this, the the kingdom of heaven is like this, because there's a day coming when the kingdom will come fully into this world. That's what we pray for, isn't it, in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. He's at work in the world now. He's reigning in the world now. But we look forward to the day when he will reign fully and finally and completely. And so we need to take seriously Christ's word about this. If somebody uh, says to you, well, we're going to have an event on so-and-so day and you don't trust that person, then you're not going to prepare for the event. And so this, this teaching of Jesus about the end calls us to trust his word. And we can reflect on whether or not we're, we're trusting in what Christ is saying here. We can be influenced, can't we, by skepticism. We can wrestle with this ourselves and we can be influenced by a skeptical culture. And that's something that even in the first century, in this apostolic uh, age, the age of the apostles, they wrestled with this as well. There were questions about whether or not this is really going to happen. And the apostle Peter addresses this in Second Peter chapter 3. He addresses this idea of uh, skepticism about the end of time and about Christ coming again. And uh, the apostle Peter says this in Second Peter chapter 3 that um, we are not to to forget, but rather we're to be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of the apostles, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own desires or their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? You see? They're asking this question, where is Jesus has promised, you're saying that the Lord has promised that he will come again? Well, where is it? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep or died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You have this promise that you're clinging to, but the world just continues to go on as it always has. And so there's a skepticism there. There's a scoffing there. But then the Apostle Peter provides us with, I think, something that's helpful for us to reflect on. And that is that God's relationship with time is different than ours. 
We live in the flow of time. God is outside of time. And you could even say that God created time. God is eternal. So God's relationship with time is much different than ours. We're time-bound creatures. And the Apostle Peter reminds us of this when he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the day of the, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. That's Second uh, Peter chapter three, verse eight. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So. God exists and his relationship with time is, is, is different than ours. A thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. If you wanted to do this literally, you could say, well, Jesus first came 2,000 years ago, so it's been about two days on God's time scale. And that the reason why the Lord is delaying is he's calling people now to repentance. But he sees time differently. Our... our understanding of time or our experience of time is like we're in the middle of a parade. The Macy's Day Parade is coming. Maybe you watch it on TV. And you're stuck in the middle of it and you can't see the beginning of it and you can't see the end of it. You're in the flow of it. But if you were up in the Goodyear blimp looking down, you could see the beginning from the end. And that's how God sees time. He sees the beginning from the end. He's in control of this world. And he will bring it to a grand conclusion according to his purposes. Evil and injustice will not have the last word. And he and his kingdom will reign. And so we have to trust Jesus' words about this. The doctrine of the second coming, which is not so properly taught today, but it's just as important or just as much to be believed as the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ, the atonement of the cross, the resurrection of the body. It's all of one piece. It brings everything together in a grand conclusion. And so the first way to be prepared for the second coming of Christ is to take his word seriously about this. And when our faith is beginning to dim with regard to this, ask the Lord to strengthen our faith in the things that we cannot see. A second way to prepare for this is to make a commitment, to make a commitment even now to persevere to the very end. To persevere in faith in Christ to the very end of our life or until we meet Him. This parable is a call to persevere. John Calvin said, summarizing this, the meaning of this parable, it's not enough to have once been ready and prepared if we do not persevere to the end. It's not enough to have once been ready and prepared if we do not persevere to the end. What good is starting the race if the race is not finished? And so the, the, the foolish virgin, virgins in this parable were not prepared to persevere for this journey to meet the bridegroom. They brought no oil with them. It might have started off okay. 
they arouse from their sleep with the other five wise virgins, these bridesmaids together. And they heard the cry that the bridegroom is coming. And they get up and maybe they had enough oil in their lamps for it to shine bright for a little bit. But then as they went out to meet the groom, it starts to flicker and recede. And they have to say, oh, can we borrow your oil to the wise ones who were prepared? They were not prepared to go the distance. Our lamps are going out. And, and Jesus, part of his teaching about the end is to strengthen his disciples in their endurance. Because he knows hard times are coming. He knows persecution is coming. He knows that life is going to be difficult for them and all of his followers until he comes again. So he is, for, uh, he is strengthening them. He is forewarning them so that they will be forearmed so that they can endure to the end. And so when he begins his teaching in Matthew 24... This is to his apostles. And he says to his apostles, they are going to deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And this is Matthew 24. I have to have bigger print now. I'm at that stage. Matthew 24, verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another. And, and they will begin to hate one another. The community under this persecution in some ways is going to start breaking down. And there's going to be hatred towards you. And there's going to be false prophets that come and deceive many. And there's going to be lawlessness. There's going to be people who do not care for the law of God or the civil law. There's going to be this sense of anarchy and lawlessness. And that's going to abound. And then in the context of that, the breakdown of the law, many people's hearts will grow cold. The love of many people will grow cold. But he who endures to the end, you see, will be saved. He, to endures, he who endures to the end. So this is about endurance. And, and not only uh, does the Lord, when he teaches about the end times, talk about the persecution and the things that come from outside of us to discourage us to continue on with him. But there are places in the gospel where he talks about the things within us, the things that we can do, the attitudes and things that we can do that can begin to slacken our devotion to Him. And we have to watch out for those things. As He says in Luke 21, again talking about the end, Luke 21, 34. But take heed to yourselves. Think about your own life in light of this. Lest your hearts be weighed down. Okay, with what? What could weigh our hearts down so that we're not spiritually prepared? That... Our devotion to Christ is beginning to slack, Jesus. What is it that could weigh us down? What is it that could cause us to lose focus? He says uh, here, the way it's translated, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of life. 
You could give yourself over to partying and get distracted spiritually. And you can get so weighed down with the anxieties and burdens of your life that you can lose focus on the hope of Christ to come and your need to stay loyal to him to the very end. And so Jesus is gracious here in saying these are the kinds of things that can trip up a follower. One of my disciples. I want you to endure to the end. This is meant to help us endure to the end. God is being very gracious through the words of Christ to Again, warn us to be forewarned is to be forearmed, to be ready for the battle. And these are the kinds of things that discourage disciples to give up. Persecution from outside and within this sense of being weighed down. And so we need to be aware of these things and persevere to the end. This week I I read of a Chinese Christian leader who came to Christ in the 1960s. He came to Christ during the Cultural Revolution in China. In the 1970s, he was arrested every year of that decade. And in the 80s, he was arrested. And in the 90s, he was arrested. And in 1995, he spent 145 days in prison. During the Cultural Revolution, he was, he was tortured. He was hung by his arms in prison. He, during the Cultural Revolution, was made to wear a um, dunce's cap. They used to do this. The police would arrest Christians and others who were counter-revolutionaries. They deemed them to be threats to the government and they would put these dunce caps on them and prayed them through the village so that they could be mocked and scorned. And that's what happened to him. And they had him wear a sign that said, counter-revolutionary head of superstition, to mock him. He was taken to a Buddhist temple and tied to a pillar and beaten with bamboo rods. All this was meant to obviously silence him. To cause him to give up, to not endure. But it didn't stop him because he was so close to Christ. He was committed to Christ. He was committed to enduring to the very end. He knew Christ and so Christ gave him strength. And his church network, by the way, was one of the strongest in China in the 60s and 70s. And so I share that with us just just to encourage us. I mean, I hear an example like this and think, I don't really know what it means to suffer for Christ. Nowhere in the ballpark compared to that guy. But I want to grow stronger in my commitment to endure to the end. And those examples inspire us. In order to do this, we can't do it on our own. The Holy Spirit is necessary. The apostles who Christ warned, he said, you know, this is the persecution you're going to face. This is the, these are the challenges you're going to face. You're going to be tempted to, to uh, abandon. And these were the same disciples when Jesus was arrested. They did flee. Peter denied him. The apostles scattered like a sheep that's been struck. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit filled them on the day of Pentecost that they had the boldness that they needed to be able to stand firm. And that's what I need. And that's what you need. We need to ask God to fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit when we feel 
our commitment to Him starting to slack. We need the fresh oil of the Spirit. We, we need the Spirit to help us to trust in these words and to increase our faith in these things. And so it's about making a commitment to perseverance, to be prepared to meet Him. And then finally, it's about a true profession of faith. A true profession of faith. Make sure that our profession of faith is true. You know, these foolish virgins, they, they looked the part. They were part of the wedding party. They, they, they looked like the other five wise virgins. They were all the same age. They were little girls. They were part of the wedding party. They all had their lamps. But the difference between them was revealed when the groom came. That's when the crisis came. They weren't really prepared. And so they were late to the party and they found the door was shut when they got there. And then they entreated the groom, let us in, O Lord, let us in. And he said, I don't know you. Now, it raises a question, doesn't it? Like, why didn't he just let them in? I mean, they were late, yes. They didn't prepare, okay. But can an exception be made? Well, what's really going on here, and this is, I think, Jesus' point, is that in this culture in the first century, this was an honor and shame culture. And if you had a part to play in a wedding, you were to take that part seriously. And it would be an offense to the groom if you did not take your part seriously and you did not prepare. It would be dishonoring to the entire wedding party and particularly to the groom and his family if you were not prepared. It would show that you're not a serious person. You're not taking your role serious. It would show a shallow view of your responsibility. And so that lack of preparation revealed something about their heart. They looked the part, but what really was going on in their heart? They were not taking it seriously. And that can happen in, in the church, friends. Uh, we can look the part, we can uh, come together and participate in the, in the worship of the church. We can confess the creeds. We can participate in the sacraments. We can even preach sermons. But the question is, what's really going on in our hearts? Are we trusting in the way that God has given us to be right with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ? I mean, I know people here, I know a person here who was a priest for many decades, and he tells me, I didn't know Christ the whole time I was preaching. I was an unconverted minister in the pulpit, just doing it because my father had done it and it was a job that I followed in his vocation. And so he, he didn't know the gospel. It took him, I think, getting out of the ministry to discover Christ. And that can happen. Don't let it happen to you. May it not happen to me. Let's be prepared for the very end by putting our trust in Christ and staking our eternity on Him. Just after Jesus teaches these very things, He's going to the cross to pay for our redemption. And He'll be raised again for our resurrection. And so that is our trust. Look at these last words of the groom here to these foolish virgins. He answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you. How do you get in on the, the wedding feast? You know the groom. How do you get in on the kingdom feast? You know the king. You trust the king. 
And so that is how we prepare. We make sure that our profession of faith matches what is going on in our heart as we put our trust in Christ alone. And friends, it will be worth it in the end to endure. It will be worth it in the end to prepare because the kingdom of heaven, Jesus teaches us here, is like a wedding feast. It is a celebration. It is going to be a party. It is going to be a time of great joy. Right now, sometimes it feels like the life of faith is like that Robert Frost poem where he says, hours to go before I sleep, hours to go, going through the dark woods. But when you get home, it's worth it. The journey is worth it. And I'm sure we've all been to weddings where you're waiting for the wedding feast to come. And it's been a long day. And you're sitting there at those tables in the banquet and you're like, when are they going to serve the food? (laughs) It's been a very long day. They're taking so long with the pictures. And that speech is going on way too long. I'm hungry. What are they serving? And then finally, it comes. Hopefully, it's a good meal of steak or chicken. And they bring it. And then the wine begins to flow. And then the music starts. And the families start dancing. My family starts dancing. I watch them do that. (laughs) And you forget. You forget about the inconvenience. You forget about the waiting. Because now you're celebrating. And Jesus says, that's what it's going to be like in the kingdom of heaven. Now is the time of endurance. But then will be the time of joy. And that's what's in store for his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us by your Holy Spirit to trust in your words that you give us through your Son, Jesus Christ, to take seriously these things. But not to take ourselves so seriously, but rather to look to you. Because you're the one who can sustain us until the very end. Help us also to think about others who do not know you. Others who may be wandering from you. Help us to remember to pray for them and to reach out to them. And help us, God, to hang on to this hope of eternal joy with you. In Christ's name we pray these things and everyone said, Amen.